Welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor is here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. So there's a famous uh, writing by Robert Frost that the end line says, I chose the path less traveled and it made all the difference. And I was thinking about this and I... I came up with the question that kept ringing in my mind for me, and I thought maybe it would work for you guys. Are you able to look back in your life and see those paths that have made a difference in where you're at? More importantly, do you have the self-awareness or are you able to be honest enough with yourself to say, there was times when I look back that I chose the wrong path. Like I, I should not have gone down that path. If you're able to do that, man, how much better is it going to be for the next time that Satan comes along and says, hey, go down this road. You can look and you can be honest and you go, I've done this before and this is not where I want to go. Now, Harbor Church, I'm glad that you're with me. Those of you that are watching online, thanks for checking us out. If this is your first time here at church, this is your first time at Harbor, or maybe it's your first time at any church ever, my name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm thrilled that you're with us. We're in a series that we're calling Playbook. Those of you that are listening on the podcast, um, we are kind of trying to go off of a, um, like a, a sports theme here in Playbook, and it's the idea that there's two coaches Satan and God, and they both have a plan for our life, and we have to figure out who we're going to listen to and what we're going, uh, what we're going to do with our life. We're in a game, whether you want to play or not, you have to play. It's called life, and the stakes are incredibly high. And Satan is going to throw everything at you to discourage you, to um, to to lead you in the wrong direction, to get you to, one, not be on the right team. And if you've already accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, he can't take that away from you. So since he can't get you to be on his team, he's going to make sure that you're not effective for Christ. And I think there's a lot of ways that happens. I was able to take a a road trip this last week um, with my family. It was a very long road trip. It was 17 hours both ways with a couple kids in the back seat, so that's fun. Um, and uh, we, you know, we, we were, you know, for the most part, it was, it was really easy, but um, a couple of times it was like, man, these kids need something uh, to keep them occupied. And uh, so I put on, uh, I found a, a thing on my Spotify from my childhood, it's called Patch the Pirate, and it's this Christian um, story, a group, like group of stories, and it's like really animated, it's four little kids, and my kids are really young, and I thought, man, this would be perfect for them, and it, they have sing-along songs, and this one, this one story that I tuned into was about this princess that uh, was, was hoping to become the next ruler of this kingdom, but her aunt, who was evil, also wanted to be the ruler of this kingdom, and, and so the, this, this, this place, that the, this kingdom that they were in, has this tradition that whoever is going to be the next rightful ruler would go out to this mountain and would find this ancient relic called the Heart of Humility. And um, they, like, whoever could get there first and find it would be the next ruler. And the instructions said to take the difficult path to get to the mountain. Well, of course, the evil aunt, she takes the easy road. She goes the easy way. And, and the, the princess, the hero of the story, she takes the path less traveled, as Robert Frost would say. She takes the hard road. And of course, there's a lot of scripture spread throughout, and it's it's really really kiddy. I mean, it's really it's really based for little kids. I mean, it's the fun voices like "Gorge, let's go down this road." Okay, you know, it's that kind of stuff, right? And like, you know, we're listening, and and I, after a while, my kids finally fall asleep, and my wife's like, "Oh, thank goodness, let's turn this off and have some adult conversation." And I'm like, "Shh, shh, I'm trying to hear the rest of the story, babe." <laughs> I want to know what happens to the princess. You know, like, I was really bought in. Uh, and one, because I'm very easily entertained and I have the IQ of a, of a person who doesn't really care about what stories, what quality there is. I just thought, man, I'm, I'm in. I'm in. My attention span is young. I'm there. And I wanted to hear the rest of it. And as I leaned into it, I actually felt like, like there was a very, very good spiritual application that came. And I went, why... Why is it that the queen can't see that the, the easy path isn't going to get her what she wants? And I am like arguing with a cartoon character. Like, yeah, come on. Like, it, it, of course it seems easy, but it's not going to get you where you want to go. And then I was almost like God was like, Josh, do you understand anything? 
And I was thinking about this message. I'd, I'd written this message a while ago, but hadn't quite finished it up. And I thought, you know what? That's exactly what Satan does to us. And if we're able to look back at the times where he gives us the easy path, and we look at how many easy paths that we've gone on, we might, we might just have an, a, like a, a wake-up moment where we go, that, that didn't lead me where I wanted to go. That actually is where a lot of my problems came from, was that decision and that path. But see, this is the thing. Satan does this time and time again. And if you don't learn from those mistakes, because we've all done it. We've all in here, all of us have chosen an easy path because we just didn't want to put the work in to do what it is that God called us down that hard path. If we don't learn from that, Satan's just going to keep putting it out there and putting it out there. And if you think, well, he's only going to do that to somebody who doesn't know. Satan loves this tactic so much, it's what he used on Jesus. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible, there is a time early on in Jesus's ministry where Jesus has just gotten baptized, and then it says he goes out into the wilderness to fast, which is a way of, uh, of, of denying himself something. A fast back in the day was to put your flesh back so that your spirit could, could grow, and so Jesus fasts from food. And so for 40 days, Jesus doesn't eat anything to teach his flesh that it's not in control of him, that his spirit needs to be the, the one that, that he follows. And Jesus is, is doing this, and Satan comes to tempt Jesus. And because Jesus is so hungry, his first temptation is to get him to misuse his powers and turn a rock into bread. But when Jesus doesn't fall for that, Satan has two more temptations that he throws at him. And one of them, and you can find the temptation of Christ in, in Matthew chapter 4 and in Luke chapter 4. To, today, we're only going to read Luke chapter 4. This is what happens after Jesus has already, already told Satan he's not given into his tricks. Satan throws this at him. In verse number 5 of Luke chapter 4, it says, Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And Satan says to Jesus, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they're mine to give to anyone I please. And I'll give it all to you, Jesus, if you'll just worship me. This is one of the three temptations of Jesus. And I, I want you to see what Satan's doing there. Jesus' response, by the way, in verse 8, Jesus responds or replies, the scriptures say... Jesus always goes to the Bible. Jesus says, the scriptures say the, that you must worship the Lord God and serve only him. He's going back to the great commandments. He's saying, hey, listen, love God, have no other, have no other gods before him. Love God. That's Jesus' answer to Satan. Now, when I was young, I read the story about Satan tempting Jesus, and I thought, how big of a temptation is that? Right? He's tempting Jesus to worship Satan. Like, I was a little kid. I'm like, I know we're not supposed to worship Satan. <laughs> like, that's not a temptation, right? Are you guys with me, or should I start this message over? I hope people online are at least with me. You can type something there. All right, so I read this story. Satan says, Jesus, look at all of the kingdoms of the world. If you will bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of that. And I'm like... Of course, Jesus isn't going to fall for that. That's not much of a temptation. But see, I didn't understand what was happening. What I want you to see here is Satan brings Jesus up and he shows him the empires of the world. He shows him all that the world has to offer. So he shows him the glory and the riches. And then he shows him what it looks like, what it would be to be the king, the emperor in charge of all that. Jesus gets to see the world revealed in front of him as far as all that the world could offer, the, the, the pleasure, the comfort, the fame, the glory. Now see, what, what, I, wasn't, what I wasn't connecting here on this, this temptation, and by the way, just so if you've never heard this, being tempted is not a sin. Jesus was tempted. The temptation isn't the sin. It's your reaction to the temptation. We're all going to face temptations, it's what you do when you're tempted that makes a difference. And Jesus obviously refuses the temptation. But why is this a temptation? I mean, the Bible says that in the end, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. If Jesus, in the end, gets to be Lord and Master and everybody bows to him, he's going to have all the glory and all of the honor and all of the fame and all the treasures. Then why would he need to bow to Satan to get it? Right? 
Well, you got to understand, Satan is using one of his favorite temptations, the easy way. See, what, did Jesus, what was Jesus put on earth to go through? Jesus knew that his mission from the time he was born in a manger in Bethlehem, he knew that his mission was to die on the cross to cover the sins of messed up dumpster fires like you and I. He knew that his end goal was not to, to come to earth and have everybody just love him and praise him. He knew that he was going to be spit on and beat and nailed to a cross. Jesus knew what was coming. He knew the pain and the rejection and the shame and the torture of crucifixion that was coming. And Satan knew that. And Satan says, Jesus, why don't we just bypass that whole cross thing and let's get you straight to being famous what do you say and see when we look at it that way now all of a sudden that's a temptation see he was coming to Jesus he says we don't need to do all the hard work of loving all these messed up people Jesus and serving them and washing their feet and healing the lepers let's just jump straight to you being the emperor of all and let everybody bow down and worship you and let's just skip that whole cross thing See, God had a plan for Jesus' life, just like God has a plan for your and I life. And Satan will constantly come. Listen to me. Satan will come time and time again and go, you don't need to do what God's path is. I've got an easier path. We'll get to the same thing. We're going to get you where you need to go. You do the easy road, and don't worry about all that hard stuff that God's called you to. Come on now. I know I'm not the only one that faces that temptation. I'm sitting there going, uh, God, is this... Do I really need to do that? And you remember Jesus, at, right before Jesus gets arrested, he says, God, is there any way you could take this cup from me? Do I really have to go through all of this suffering of the cross? Jesus didn't want that. He was man. He was 100% God, but he was also 100% man. So he had flesh and blood and nerve endings and muscles. He was going to feel every bit of that just like you and I would. And he says, God, do I have to do it? And then Jesus' heart is revealed. He says, nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. Because Jesus wasn't about taking the easy way, not like you and I. We have a tendency to go, okay, hey, if I can bypass a little bit of struggle there, more power to me. And that's what the world promotes on a daily basis. You don't need to do that. Take the easy way. The easy road is where you're, where you're going to find your joy. You do that. Don't do it God's way. God's way is going to cost you too much. God, God's way is going to hurt too much. You see, this is what Jesus said, and I want you to pay attention to this in Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, Jesus says, you can enter God's kingdom only through one way. Now, you've got to remember earlier in the, in the chapter, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's only one way to God. And then Jesus says, hey, there's only one, this, this path to, to God's kingdom, it's, it's through a very narrow gate. Jesus calls himself the gate. Also, he says, the highway to hell, don't start singing this song in your head, the highway to hell is broad. It's a wide highway. And its gates wide open so that many people can choose that way. Satan has got that highway lit up with billboards and all. I mean, it's an easy off-ramp. That highway is, it looks like everybody's going down that highway. Down that, that road is where everybody's, that's where the party is. That's where I need to go. That is broad and easy. Many choose that way. Then it says in verse 14, the gateway to life is very narrow. There's no wide loads going through this one. You don't get to bring all of that stuff with you. It's, it's a sacrificial way. It's a way where you're, you're going to have to say, I, I'm probably not going to have a lot of people going with me on this. I'm not going to be as popular down this way. I'm not going to have as much stuff down this way. It's narrow, and look at what it, how it describes it. The road is difficult. That's to make sure you understand it's in direct opposition or it's, it's completely counter to the other one. The other one is not difficult, meaning it is? Three people are with me. All right. The other way is easy. Satan has a road that's easy, and it leads to hell. God has a road that is clearly marked as difficult, and it is a way that only a few people find. So what I'm hoping is that you have already found this way. And if you haven't, it's the single most important decision you'll ever make. There's nothing more important than saying, I 
I need Jesus more than I need me. But even if you have accepted Christ as your Savior, the temptation will come. It comes for pastors, and it comes for lay people, and it comes for brand new Christians, and it comes for, for those that of you that are veterans of the church and you've been doing it for a long time. Satan is like, hey, I got a better path. And man, it always looks so much more appealing and alluring. Let me show you, because I get asked this from time to time, how do I know if I'm on the right path? How do I know if I'm on the right path? So now I've explained to you that there is clearly a wrong path, and it's very easy to get on the wrong path. And um, take it from a guy who takes a lot of road trips. Like you, if you don't have the GPS in front of you, you make a lot of dumb turns. And I can look at most of the men in this room and know that you will never ask directions. You'll just pretend like you didn't make a wrong turn. And that probably is true for all of us, regardless of your gender, for uh, your spiritual walk. No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm where I want to be. All right. Well, we'll go to the GPS. We'll go to the playbook to see if you're running the right play. And we'll ask to say, okay, hey, is there any warning signs if I've gone down the easy path? Yes, there are. Look at what Satan throws at Jesus and just see if that's if what he was tempting Jesus with is, is something that you've already given into. Because if you can look and go, where is that easy path in my life? And did I fall down it? Did I go down it? Just look back. The, the places in your life where you gave into addiction, that was the easy path. That led you there. The place in your life where you went to immoral places and you did immoral things, that was on the easy road. The times in your life where you've ruined relationships and you've burned bridges, that's because you were on the easy path. See, he knows that that path leads to destruction. That's why he wants you running that play, going down that road. And if you need warning flags, just look back in your past and go, yeah, I can see where I, I chose poorly. And here's, here's where I need to choose wisely coming up. And if you're going, I, I, Pastor, I, I think, Pastor Josh, I think I'm on the right path, but maybe I'm not. Then let's look at some of the things that come from the easy path. First off, you'll see three things. You'll see, you'll see three signs, three ways to know if you've, got, if you've gone down this easy way. The easy path, by the way, has always been geared to feed your selfishness. Okay? It's always, always, always about making you the God of your life instead of God. It's always about self-idolatry. It's always about self-pleasing. It's always about selfishness. So here are three signs that you may have gone down the wrong way. First off, it feeds your greed. You see, he, he brings Jesus and he goes, you see these kingdoms? You see how much money is there? You see how much luxury is there? You see how nice it is? You, you could own nice horses and nice chariots, modern-day Lamborghinis. You know, you could have all of this, Jesus. The newest Nike sandals for your feet. You could have it all. And he's, he's appealing to the flesh side of Jesus because the easy road will always feed your greed. It would always say, hey, there's more for you. This is why it's so important that why the Bible makes it such an important thing for our life to recognize that that's, a, that's, a, that's something that will grow like a cancer and it will begin to choke us out. Look at what the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6. In 1 Timothy 6 verse 9 it says, People who long to be rich, or you can fill in there, long for possessions, long for stuff, they fall into temptation and they're trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. When you value things above God, it will plunge you into destruction. You will begin to pursue something else. And those of you that have been blessed enough to get the thing that you really wanted, the boat, the house, the job, the retirement, the vacation, it didn't satisfy you. You were like, oh, cool. But then you saw somebody who had the same thing plus some more, and you're like, well, I could have more. Because it, it, greed is never satiated. It's never satisfied. You can't placate that. You're, you're always going to be feeding that monster. That's why it goes on to say in verse number 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It does not say that money is the root of all evil. God blesses a lot of people. There's a lot of people in the Bible that ha are incredibly wealthy because God blessed them with it. Money isn't bad. Having a lot of things isn't bad. It's the love of that money. It's the love of those things that captures our heart. See, it feeds our greed. And some people craving money, now watch how it says this, some of the people that have, have become so greedy, they have wandered from the true faith. You could also put wandered from the right path. They have, been pier they have pierced themselves with many sorrows. You know what that verse is trying to tell you? 
your greed will lead you to a place of self-inflicted wounds. Those of you that have worshipped one more dollar, you have begun to inflict wounds in your own life that nobody else made you do. You just, you just started working a little bit extra and neglected your family. You just began to pursue one more sale and got a little bit shady. You just needed, man, you just need to pad that because you got nervous and now all of a sudden your taxes aren't quite as honest as what they used to be. Um, okay, nobody's going to shake their heads, that's fine. All right. Not me, pastor, priest, or somebody else. Okay, uh, Luke 12, just so you know, Luke 12, uh, verse number 15 says, beware, this is Jesus talking, beware, wake up, pay attention, Guard your heart, guard yourself against every kind of greed. Not just money. You can be greedy for fame. You can be greedy for people's admiration. Some of you get greedy for love. You just have to have somebody to call yours. Some of it, sometimes we get greedy uh, not just for uh, the possessions and the money, but we, we begin to get greedy that, that more people pay attention to us than to somebody else. Oh, no social media people in here? Okay. Moving on. It doesn't just feed your greed. One of the other signs is, is that it flatters your ego. Yeah. See, the, the path to destruction, the easy way, will tell you how great you are. Who doesn't like that, right? You're so smart. You're so good. You should keep doing this. Nobody's as smart as you are. Boy, look at you. Look what you've accomplished. Look how good you are. You know how much people are going to love you the more you go down this road? They're going to love you. so. You see what Satan did to Jesus? Look, people are going to bow down and worship you. You're going to be, you're going to be in king of all of this. You don't, you're going to have so much fame, and man, that strokes your ego. I am kind of, I'm, I'm kind of deserve it. <laughs> I, I guess I am, right? You know. Nobody? Nobody? All right, make a note. Make a note. Everybody in church today is apparently perfect. That's cool. I'll make just the next message. It, it strokes your ego, and this is something that God warns us about because it's something that we fall prey to so often. I don't know if you know who Hannah is. Hannah in the Old Testament was, uh, was very desperate to have children, and after she finally does get pregnant, um, because she, she pours her heart out to God. God gives her this prayer, and part of the prayer, as she looks back at her own life and at people that have been um, negative in her life, she, she kind of comes away with this, this, this phrase that I, I think some of us should, should kind of make a, a motto for us, especially if you deal with ego and pride. She says this, Stop acting so proud and haughty. It means cocky. Don't speak with such arrogance. Don't let your speech be filled with all the things that you're great about. For the Lord is a God who knows what you've done. He will judge your actions. See, we forget that God knows all of our, all of our past, right? I mean, we can strut into a party like we, like we own the place. We can put up some pictures like we, our life is perfect. But God knows what you did in the dark weeks and months and years ago. And so he's not as impressed with you as other people might be. He's not as impressed with you as you are with you. And Hannah's reminding us, hey, that may not be the path to go down. Remember what it says in Proverbs? It says that pride cometh before a fall, and a haughty spirit will lead you to destruction, or pride goes before destruction, depends on which version I've memorized in the King James. This idea that if you want to end up destroyed and broken, just get on the path that strokes your ego. Just go, just go where you think you're the man, where you, you are going to, you're going to prove to everybody how great you are. That is an easy path, and it will lead you to a fall. It will lead you to destruction. This is what the Bible's trying to teach us. That's why the easy way, it feeds your greed, it flatters your ego. But one other thing it does is it fuels your laziness. Now, this one, for some people, is going to hurt, and some of you are like, oh, not me. Just hear me out. See, the temptation was avoid the cross. Avoid the hard work. Do it. The easy way is called the easy way because it appeals to that lazy part of us. And we all have that. Inside of us, we all have a little bit of laziness. If you all don't start shaking your heads, sinners, I'm going to stop preaching like, I'm, like we're in it, like we're here. All right, so we're all lazy. We all struggle with laziness. What do we do with that? 
What has God called us to do with that? We, we can either admit the fact that we have a temptation to just to skirt around the hard work, to no, longer, to no longer do what needs to be done. And it's very easy in the culture we live in because the world we live in says do as little as possible. That's not what God has called us to, but that's what society is putting on us. Do as little as possible and get as much as you can. And so we're like, this is, that's the exact opposite of what God's telling me to do. See, this is what the Bible says in, in Colossians chapter 3. Paul wrote to the church there, and he said, guys, whatever you do, if you got a job, work that job hard. Work it willingly, heartily. Whatever you do, don't do it for your boss. Do it for your creator. I want you guys to look at that verse, because I don't think some of you heard what I just said. Paul's reminding us, he says, if you've got a job then you're blessed by God that he is giving you a means of providing for you. God is the one that provides for you. When the children of Israel were starving in the wilderness, they could, didn't matter what job they got, they weren't going to eat. God sent a manna from heaven. God says, I've got you. He goes, I take care of the birds in the air. I can take care of you as well. God is the one that provides. He may have provided for you through means of a job. That job is not something for you to worship. That job is a way for you to pay back God and say, this is the creator who made me and gave me this. This is an area of influence that God has said that I need to be in. So my coworkers, who I may or may not like, and I may or may not care about right now, God has put me in this job and has given me an area of influence, not because this job is what I need to take care of me. I need God to take care of me. God is allowing me to work this job so that I can do something with the time and the talents and the mind and the body that he's given me. See, some of y'all, you, you, you're not picking up what I'm, what I'm laying down here. You are not a, whatever it is, teacher, iron worker, fill in the blank. That's not your job. Your job is a disciple of God, somebody who points others to him. You're just masquerading as a fill in the blank. Oh, I'm a nurse. No, you're a disciple of God put in a hospital to tell all those other people how great your creator is, and you get paid for being a nurse. <laughs> Proverbs 21, 25, because a lot of you heard that, and you're like, nah, I think I can still get away with it. Proverbs 21, 25 reminds us, says that the lazy are going to come to discretion. We bring that verse up for me, please. Despite their desires, despite how much you think I want, I want, I want, the lazy person will come to ruin because of the lack of, because of refuse, their refusal to do work. There is ruin at the end of refusal to work. See, in the beginning, God created work. Work is not part of the curse. God gave Adam and Eve jobs before there was a curse. Working hard is not part of the curse. The sweat of your brow and like the thorns and the thistles and the crap that comes with work and the people and all, that's part of the sin and the curse. But God designed us to do something. If you're sitting back doing nothing, you're going to feel unfulfilled. I didn't say you'd like the message. I just said I'm going to bring the message. If you're not doing anything and you're like, no, I just don't, I just don't feel like I'm there. Yeah, because God's designed you to do something. Do something for him. I don't know what that is. I'm not the Holy Spirit, but I pray that if, if you lean into it, God will give you something. Go do it. Well, how do I know? What, I, I, I hear the, the, this easy path, but man, it just seems like all there is, Pastor Josh, is just ways to screw up. Does God have any kind of solution for the easy path? Does he have any kind of plan of his own? If the playbook is Satan's easy path, what's, what's my other coach? What's, what's God got for me? I'm glad you asked. If you remember, Satan has revealed his plays time and time again. That's why God gives us our playbook. And he says, here, just know what it is that Satan's doing. Well, that's why we have the story of Satan tempting Jesus. We just looked at it. Satan tried this same play and was successful very, very early. We looked a couple weeks ago at how he came and tempted Adam and Eve. He tried this on Adam and Eve's son. They had two sons named Cain and Abel at this point in Scripture. Let me read to you about them. And it's found in Genesis chapter 4. In verse number 1, they have their first son, their oldest son, Cain. Verse number 2, it says, Later, she, talking about Eve, gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. And when they grew up, Abel became a shepherd, and Cain cultivated the ground. Those are both very necessary at this time in, in, in history and in, in mankind. Somebody taking care of animals. Animals and fruits and vegetables was about all the way that you could provide all right, and so they're doing those two jobs very, 
makes sense, obviously very important. It says, when it came time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. So he's making a sacrifice. Abel also brought a gift. Abel brought the best portions of the firstborn lambs of his flock. And the Lord accepted Abel's gift. Now, if there's too much here for me to go into for, for time's sake this weekend. But Abel, Cain and Abel both bring an offering to the Lord. And I've heard it described as like, well, Abel's offering is accepted and Cain's offering is rejected because Abel brings a sheep and it's, it's part of the blood sacrifice. And I, I do think there's, there's some tr- that, that's true, but that's also a little bit of a lazy answer because there are grain offerings, there's fruit and vegetable offerings that are found in, in the Old Testament. So it's not wrong for Cain to bring fruits and vegetables as an offering to God. That's not why his, his offering is rejected. It's because he took the easy path. See, it, it's, not, it's not that God loved Abel more than he loved Cain. God loved them both. And in this moment of, at the very beginning of time, we have, and if you're not familiar with the story of Cain and Abel, it's the very first murder that ever takes place in, in humanity. It's when Cain kills Abel. But right before Cain kills Abel, we see what leads to it. And it starts with God accepting Abel's offering. If you go back to where I left off, it says, Abel brought this gift and the Lord accepted his gift in verse number five, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. And this made Cain very angry and he looked dejected. Now watch, because this is God's answer to the easy way. Hey, why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You'll be accepted if you do what's right, but if you refuse to do what's right, then watch out. There's another pay attention, be aware. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. So Satan has an easy plan, an easy road for all of us, and it plays off of our selfishness. See, God's answer for selfishness is self-control. Now, this this is something we don't like. I don't want to talk about self-control. Let's talk about God blessing me. If you want to teach me a prayer, Pastor Josh, where God sends me some more money or something, I'll take that. Let's just not talk about self-discipline, though. I don't want any of that. But see, this is what God has been trying to teach us throughout Scripture, is that he has created us with a choice. You have the choice to accept or reject Jesus, but you also have a choice about what sin that what, what you do with sin, with the temptation. Jesus got tempted time and time again and never gave into it. You have that same choice that Jesus has. You and I just keep making the wrong choice. Which, by the way, spoiler, is why we need Jesus. Okay. Um, let me show you, and, and I'm not saying this like I figured it out. I'm, I'm saying it like God is working in my life and showing me this, and I want to pass it along so that we can learn together. Okay. If you want to see the self-control portion, God's plan, you're going to see it come out in four different ways. First off, self-control does what's good, not what's good enough. You see, why, why was Cain's... Yeah, you, you can make some noise for that. I don't care. Why was Cain's offering rejected? It's not because God didn't ever accept grain offerings. He did. It's that Abel, if you look back at the verse, it says Abel brought the firstborn of his lambs. In the King James, it says, the first of his flock and the fatted. He picked the best he had. In a culture where you need the best, the biggest, the strongest, the healthiest to breed so you could have better, better livestock, you would, even today, that this is common. If you, you know any ranchers or, or, or people that, that grow livestock, you take your best, and you, those are the ones that you, you have for breeding. You kill off and slaughter for meat, the, the weak ones. See, Abel took the very best that he had and said, this belongs to God. That's why when we bring our tithes, when we take our paycheck, we don't do out our bills and pay off everything we've got and then go, if I have anything left over at the end, I'll tip God with it. We take our pay and we go, before my taxes come out, before I get, before I get all this extra bonus, before I pay all my bills, God, all of this comes from you. So I'm going to give back to you off the top before I figure out how to make everything else work. I give to you out of faith. See, Abel came to God with 
faith. He didn't say, ah, it's good enough if I give God any lamb. Any lamb's good enough. He said, no, only the best. See, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, self-control, I have to have the discipline to say that good enough is not good enough. God deserves the best. We have to do better than that. We have to do better than good enough. You guys ever heard of Fred Fleet? I doubt it. And if you have, I'd be very impressed. Fred Fleet had a job, and his job was as a lookout on a ship, okay? And and not like old-timey pirate ship, but like a little bit bit more modern. And his job was to stand in the the control room and to look out. And and when this section of seas are in, his job was to look out for other ships and any any hazards, including icebergs. And and he's there, and, and he... He doesn't have the key to the binocular box. <laughs> the other guy left with the key in his pocket, and Fred doesn't have it, but it's okay because his eyes are good enough. And Fred kept a lookout on that fateful night of the ship that we now call the Titanic without his binoculars, but his eyes were good enough. Understand how that works? Good enough, right? Good enough. It doesn't. What, what harm's going to come? It's good enough. My eyes work fine. I don't need any more. I don't know if you guys have uh, ever heard of the, the company Baker and Lewis. They were the royal printers back in the 16, 1600s in London. Royal printers worked for the king. They printed a book, a huge book, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of words, and they left out one word. <laughs> That's got to be good enough, right? I mean, 99.9999% accurate. (laughs) Leave out one word, surely doesn't matter, except for that book that they were printing was called the Bible. (laughs) And when they got to the the Ten Commandments, they forgot the word not. (laughs) And so there is a famous printing of the Bible called the Wicked Bible because it says, thou shalt commit adultery. (laughs) And everybody's like, this is a wicked Bible. And it was just one word, but... They got barred from ever printing again from that one, from that one word, right? It's just one word. It should be good enough. 99.9999% accurate should be good enough. And see, this is where self-discipline says, no, good enough is not good enough. This is not, this is not what God's called me to do. See, if we look at it in, in Cain's life, Cain was like, I'm worshiping God. I'm giving an offering. Sometimes we do that. Sometimes we come into church and we're, I sang the song, I worship God, should be good enough. I gave some money, it should be good enough. I was, I was kind to somebody, that should count as service. It's, I was good, so it should be good enough. See, self-discipline says no. See, self-discipline says, I've made an effort to come and stand before the king and I've gathered around with other believers in what Jesus has called his church, his bride. And if I'm going to be a part of a church and be called out and the church by definition is an assembly of believers. And if I'm going to make the effort to come out, I better have the self-discipline to say, don't fake it like Cain does. Don't act like good enough is good enough. Actually get real and go, these are words that I'm singing before the creator of the universe and my heart better be in it. So God, you know that I'm jacked up and I need you more. So if I sing a song like, Lord, I need you, I don't, Lord, I need you, Lord, I need you. I got to do it. It's not, that's not good enough. See, Caleb, or Cain, not Caleb, Cain said, yeah, it's good enough the way I worship God. And God says, no, I can see your heart. And that's not, you got to be more disciplined than that. But the easy way says good enough. See, Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 says, this is, this is Jesus talking here in Matthew, and he says, you have to love the Lord with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. Not some. This is what we do. I'm going to go ahead and throw out an hour to God on a Thursday night or a Sunday morning, and I'll call it good. Yeah. Me and God, we're good. <laughs> Did it. No, that's not what God's called you to. He says every hour he's with you. 24-7, not one hour a week. He's the God that you need. You can sing the songs we worshiped with earlier. You can sing those songs tomorrow and the next day and the next day, and they can be true. You just won't get the benefit of my amazing voice being next to you. 
See, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11 says, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. Amen. Thank God. <laughs> there was nobody that was ever like, oh, I love, I love when I get spankings as a kid. I love when I got ground. I love when I got suspended. The, the discipline part sucks. If you ever watch Karate Kid, he gets mad. He's like, wax on, wax off. Shut up, Mr. Miyagi. This is horrible. I hate it. Nobody enjoys it. I'm glad that two people understood a Karate Kid reference. I'm not talking about Jaden Smith either, okay? Go watch Ralph Macchio, okay? That's what I'm talking about. You got to get old school, all right? And it's, it's, it's this idea, none of us like the training part. None of us like the disciplining part. We all wish we were disciplined. <laughs> we just don't like that part. See, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who have trained in this way. God's saying, stay faithful. I know you would rather pick up your cell phone and play a game in the morning, but maybe you should pick up your Bible and read God's word. Okay. I didn't see anybody take that down as a note, but it's fine. We'll move on. <laughs> Self-control does what's good, not what's good enough. Here's another one. Self-control relies on what I know, not how I feel. Did you see what Cain did? See, Cain doesn't have self-control, and it says, let me read it for you. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift. He did not accept Cain and his gift, and this made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Cain wears his heart on his sleeve. Cain can't have a bad day and not express it. Nobody in this room, okay. Cain can't have an emotion that doesn't just pour out of him. Whatever Cain is feeling, Cain expresses. Cain is controlled by his emotions. Cain is a victim to how he feels, not what he knows. He knows that God loves him, but he feels like he's, put, he's, he's being put down. He feels like his brother is better than him. And so the jealousy and the anger and the bitterness begins to well up. You need to understand something. Long before Cain murdered Abel physically, he murdered him in his heart. See, our emotions are what dictate our actions, what we allow to be processed and harbored and hang, hung on to. Go watch the American Idol series I just did and look up the one on emotions. When we allow something to take root and hold on to us, that's eventually where our words come from and our actions come from. So long before he ever took action against Abel, he held on to a hatred and a bitterness and a murder in his heart towards Abel. And see, if I'm, if I'm going to be self-disciplined, I don't just go with whatever I feel in the moment. I don't just go with what, what comes around. See, I have to have a counteract to it. I, I feel anxious, but I can know that God is in control. See, I can, I can feel lonely, but I can know that God says that I'm not alone. I can feel angry, but I can know that God says, hey, there's two sides to this. And what you think is all there is is not all there is. There's more to this story. There's something you're not seeing. But see, if I get wrapped up in my emotion, I just get hateful or I get scared or I get bitter. Or I get confused. I get, I get wrapped up and I don't see what it is that God has for me because I'm leaning into my feelings, not into my knowledge. We struggle with this. This is why he reminds us in 2 Timothy, he says, God has not given you a spirit of fear or of timidity. He's given you what? The power of love and self-discipline. God has given you the ability to be in control of your emotions. Do not give me that bull crap. Like, I just can't help that. just can't help Oh, this is how I feel. I'm redheaded. That's why I'm mean all the time. No, you're a jerk. I'm not picking on the redheads. I'm not. It's just an excuse I hear a lot. You know, oh, it's not, that, that, that's, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. It is your fault. God has given you the ability to have self-control. If you don't have self-control, that is a choice you are making. Somebody in here needs to write that down. If you are the person that keeps losing control of your emotions, that is not something that is, oh, it just happens to me and I can't do anything about it. That is an active choice you're making. See, that's why Proverbs 25, 28 says a person without self-control is like a city that's broken down without walls. You have no defense for anything that's going to come at you. No matter what, whatever life is going to throw at you, you got nothing to defend yourself with because you're so raw emotionally. You're so, you're, you're so tender to anything. And your emotion might be different from somebody else's emotion. Most of us have a go-to emotion, an anger or a hatred or a condescension, something like that, but... 
you're going to be more vulnerable than, than, than somebody who has like a, a fault in a different area. Your emotions will absolutely strip you of your defense, is what the Bible's saying. Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace that comes from God rule in your hearts. Don't answer this, but when was the last time you were ruled by peace? Now, come on. When was the last time that the peace of God was the emotion that flooded over you? So you have the opportunity and the option to have that, but most of the time we pick our own feelings. See, self-control relies on what I know, not how I feel, but that's not the only thing. Self-control does what's right, not what's right now. Now, see, this one is where it hit me because, see, uh, Cain just kind of looks and he's like, I got some fruit and vegetables. This is good enough. You know, it's right now. It's right here. It's easy. I can do it. I can do this right now, and I don't have to go back and make it right. Simplified, I can just put the dishes in the sink. I don't have to put them in the dishwasher. (laughs) I thought somebody would elbow somebody they're sitting next to. You know? It's this, it's, it's this way that, like, it's easier for me to just talk to the few people I know at church than actually make new friends in the lobby. So I can do what's right, or I can do what's right now, easy, right here. You know, it's, it's how, like, when we get caught in a situation, it's so much easier right now to lie <laughs> than to do the right thing. See, right now, in this moment, I just want to lie and cover my butt and get you to stop asking me. But what's right is to own up to it. See, it's easier for me to just rush off the kids or to scream at them. What are you doing? That's so stupid. Than to have the right reaction and say, let's sit down and let's have a talk about what you need to do. Parents, grandparents, come on. See, it's the easy way will always be the right now. What can I do right now? What can I just get it over and done with? It's never the long haul. See, what's right will probably take you time. And what's easy is... Right, right now, right now, that's what I'm going to deal with right now. That's all I'm doing. See, it's that hard conversation. It's the, it's the reason we fall into sexual temptation because right now, in this moment, I can gratify myself. I can have something that God says I need to wait for. I can take. And he says, no, self-discipline says you save yourself for the person that you've, you're willing to make the hard work of committing to them. See, God says marriage is you promising to be faithful, and it takes hard work, and it's, it's required a commitment. But the world says sleep with whoever you want as often as you want or do whatever you want sexually because it's all about you pleasing yourself. And so we take the right now instead of doing the right thing. We could make this, we can really hit some of this, me personally. It's the, it's the, the healthy food stuff, you know? Like, the, like right now, Burger King is really fast. <laughs> And I don't have the time to go home and make a salad, you know, like, oh, well, (laughs) right? I mean, we can do the right now very easily. It's the right thing that takes more time. See, I I love what John Jim Ron said. I don't know if you've ever heard this quote before. I, I really liked it. We must all suffer one of two things, either the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. We're all going to suffer one of those two. Yeah, you can clap for it. I didn't write it. It's him. I don't, I'm sure he appreciates it. 1 Corinthians 9, 27 says this, I discipline my body and I keep it under control. Whatever you struggle with, whether that's dieting or anger or sexual things or addictions and drinking, or you fill in the blank. Whatever you, you are called not to blame somebody else. That's what the world says is, okay, you had a bad childhood, blame that for your problem today. Somebody mistreated you, blame that for why you act the way you do. The work's not fair, blame that. You are called to discipline yourself. You are called to hold yourself under control. So if you are not, if you're lazy in your walk with God, if you're mean in your conversations with other people, if you're bad in the words that come out, if you're shady in the way you deal with things, you fill in the blank, that's on you. See, I hated it too. I don't want to admit that. Matthew 6, 24 says this, no one can serve two masters. We want to. We would like to. We, we, we pretend to. You can't actually serve two. You're either going to hate the one and love the other, or you'll be dis- devoted to the one and despise the other. Don't talk about how much you love God, and then you feed your flesh. 
Because you're not actually devoted to God, you're just paying lip service. And that might be, and listen, I'm not pointing my finger at you, I'm just saying I've learned this in my own life, that might be why your walk with God isn't as good as you want it to be. Because you can sit there and pray, God, help me, I want to do what's right, I want to help you, I want to I follow you, you show me what to do. But then when you get done with your prayer, you go live your life based off of what makes you happy, and you do all things for you. You're serving yourself, but saying you have a different master, and it won't ever work. So those three things popped out a lot, but look at the last thing that, Jesus, that God says. God is talking to Cain. He says, hey, Cain, you will be accepted. This is verse number seven. You will be accepted if you do what's right. Do what's right. We just talked about that. Not what, what's right, you know, what's right now. Do what's right. You'll be accepted if you do that. But if you refuse to do what's right, you better watch out. Sin is crouching at the door. The Bible says that Satan is a roaring lion that walks around looking for somebody to devour. It's crouching at your door. You guys ever read Calvin and Hobbes? Anybody? If you haven't, it's a great comic. And the kids stuffed tiger would wait for him to get home from school and as soon as he'd open the door it would tackle him and he'd roll down the stairs out in the yard it was just fun like thing that this this tiger would do always attack him in the non-fun way this is what god is saying satan's doing he's waiting inside your door he's waiting for you to open the door he's like come on home you think you're safe pounce he's got you he's waiting to attack so what's god's solution he says listen cain it's waiting to control you, eager to control you. You must subdue it and be its master. Subdue it. Do you guys remember the Dread Pirate Roberts and the great face-off with the giant Fezzik? If you haven't ever seen the movie Princess Bride, you won't get this reference. But Andre the Giant is this massive man, and, and the Dread Pirate Roberts has to jump on his back because going fist-to-fist -fist with him, he was never going to beat him, but he, he gets on him and he chokes him. And he just keeps choking this giant. And this giant of a man finds like, oh, uh, uh. I, I want to react the whole movie. I can't. Finally, Fezzik falls down, passed out, because the Dread Pirate Roberts chokes him for so long. He cuts off his air and subdues him. Super old school wrestling style. Put him in a headlock. Make sure he, he's knocked down. And it's a constant thing is what God is saying. This is the last thing I want you to notice about self-control. Self-control is, da is daily discipline. Yeah. It's daily discipline, not occasional obedience. Yeah. See, God says you must subdue it. It is coming for you every day. Do you guys remember what Romans chapter two, 12 said? Romans chapter 12 says, Brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. You surrender yourself. Let, you, let yourself be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that God will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Surrender yourself because this is what God has for you. You know why it says present yourself as a living sacrifice? I think I shared this with you a couple of months ago. A living sacrifice keeps crawling off the altar. See, back in the day, they'd put up an animal, they'd sacrifice it, it was done, it's dead. I sacrificed it, it's good, I'm out. You put a living sacrifice up on the altar, you and I put ourselves up on the altar, and we say, God, take me, I'm yours. It's your path, not my path. The problem with living sacrifices is they crawl off the altar. It's a daily thing. Get back up there. Tomorrow, go, God, I need you more than I need me. It's your way, not my way. And if some of you forget what you pray, you might need to do that again halfway through the day, and then again around 4 o'clock when you haven't quite got out of work, but you're really tired. You might need to do that while you're driving through rush hour traffic, and you want to start running people off the road. I don't know. I'm just, it's hypothetically, you might need to re re repeatedly say, God, not me, but you, because it's, it's a daily discipline. This isn't like, I have self-control. I'll never try again. The rest of my life, I'm good, yeah. Right? Those of you that have like ever like worked out, it's not like you went to the gym one day, you're like, yes, I'm buff. I have the six pack I need, never gonna work out again. And if that is you, we hate you. But on a spiritual level, that is what God's saying. He's saying, this is not something that you can just one and done it because in this world you're broken and your, your flesh is so strong, you're going to need to, to take a step every day. You're going to need to make this a part of your life. It's a daily discipline. It's a daily discipline. You have to subdue it. If you get lazy, 
which the easy path will make you lazy, if you get lazy, it gets back up. And then it, becomes the, it comes after you. You gotta put that thing in a headlock every day, choke it out and say, no, I'm not giving in to this. I'm not giving in to my pride and my greed and my laziness. I'm gonna read my Bible. I'm gonna love my neighbor. I'm gonna work hard at doing what it is that doesn't come naturally to me. Because what's easy, everybody does that. But what God's called me to do, man, it's going to require some self-discipline. Right now, some of you are looking at what, what self-discipline going to mean for you. It might mean showing kindness and forgiveness to a spouse or a family member, even though you don't want to. Some of you, the self-discipline of admitting that you're wrong and of making amends. Going back and saying, I wasn't perfect. I'm sorry. I did wrong. Forgive me. I'm going to do better. Some of you need the self-control of going, hey, I'm not at a place where I can be trusted with all the things that I currently have. I need to push these away. I need some help. Can you help me with this? I don't know what it might be for you. But it's, it's a drop in a bucket, self-control. You're never going to scoop up all self-control and be done. You're going to put little drops in it. You're going to say, God, I need more. That decision, that's a drop. That decision, that's a drop. And watch how God fills you up over time. One right decision, one more right decision, the next right decision. That's how it works. People hear messages like this and they're like, I'm leaving here self-controlled. No, you're not. I hope you leave motivated. I hope you leave going, God, I need you. I hope you go with a realistic expectation. But go with some determination that this is going to be a daily thing. If you're sitting here going, maybe you're watching, you're listening, you say, well, what is it I'm supposed to do? How does this work? How does it even start? Hebrews 12.1 says, let us run with endurance the race that God set before us. We all have a race. You don't win a race in one jump. I have yet to see the Olympics where it's a start and somebody takes one step and it's over. Even the quick races are many steps. God calls this race that you and I are in a marathon. It is a long race. You have a lot of steps to take. That's why he says we do this. We run this race by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Keeping our eyes on Jesus. He's the author and finisher, the one who initiates and perfects our faith. So for some of you, your first step right now is to put your faith in Jesus. Some of you, somebody under the sound of my voice, your first step to self-control of getting off the easy path and going the way that leads to heaven, the narrow gate, is your step into Jesus. The step where you say, I need a savior more than I need my own plan. If you have never done that, I'm not talking about, oh, I know all about God. I've heard all the stories. I'm talking about, has you, have you ever had a moment in your life where you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your savior? If you have never had that moment, not the head knowledge, but the action step where you said, I can't solve my sin. I can't fix my mistakes. I can't put out my dumpster fire. God, I need you. The Bible says that if you'll move out of the driver's seat and let him sit there, let God call the shots, that's salvation. That's your first step. And if you would say, Pastor Josh, I've already done that. Great. Not everybody in here has. If you have already done that, then you are called to live self-controlled. Not about your ego, not about your greed, not about you know, all the things you can get for yourself, not about how easy to make it. You're called to live self-controlled, and if you're not doing that, you're missing out on God's best for you. Wherever you're at, I pray that you'll make the decision to follow after him. Follow Jesus' example. Resist that temptation and do what you're supposed to do. I'll pray for you, but what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to pray right now where you're at and ask God to help you with it. As I pray out loud, would you pray? Just bow your head and close your eyes, and let's simply ask God to help us. God, we need you more than we need ourselves. We need your forgiveness. We need your help. We need the hope that only you can bring. And so, Lord, I pray 
over every person under the sound of my voice that we would lean into you a little bit more this weekend than we lean into ourselves, that we would leave this message changed, not because of the words of Pastor Josh, but because of the Bible's promise that we can have a Savior who sticks with us closer than anybody else would. Lord, your word promises that if any person would invite you in, you said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If we will just open the door and allow you to be our Lord and Savior, you said you would save us. You would put us on the straight and narrow. You would put us on the path that leads to heaven, that you would be our Lord. You would have a plan for our life that's much better than our plan. So God, I pray for the person who right now needs to make that decision. But God, I also pray for the many people who have already professed to be believers, the people who already claim to be followers of you. God, that we would actually start living like that. God, I know many of the testimonies, there's many people I don't know their story, but I know a lot of people in here believe themselves to be followers of yours. I'm sure people listening and watching this believe that they're Christians. So God, I ask that you would convict us for the, for the areas in our life where we are living for ourselves instead of for you, where, God, we have rejected the Bible and we've instead done what's easy. God, I ask that you would help us to see areas where we could live more like Jesus and less like ourselves, where we could love others the way you love them. We could think like you think and talk like you talk. We don't have to be living in our plan. Help us. God, help me and help every person that's willing to pursue you. God, help that person that right now needs to invite you into their life. God, help each and every one of us to leave this message changed, different, more on fire for you. We ask this and we pray this in your precious and holy name. Amen. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.